War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401 439-6028 439-6028 Yankee Tree Service YankeeTreeService.com What can they do? They do it all. Tree trimming Experts based right in Lincoln Tree removal since 2006 and also 24-7 emergency service available. Call Yankee Tree Service today 439-6028 439-6028 Whether it's tree removal stump grinding, tree pruning emergency service bucket truck at service and bobcat service since 2006 they've been performing tree removal service on top of that nothing stumps yankee tree service they provide stump grinding enjoy your landscape without the eyesore as far as pruning well let them get up there oftentimes a tree can be pruned instead of cutting it down at yankee tree service their licensed arbiters help you decide what's best the treatment plan for your tree and maybe it's an emergency service did something come down call them today 439-6028 439-6028 if they have to they get right up there in the bucket yankee tree service since 2006 tree trimming experts give them a call 439-6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's Thursday. It is October 27th. And we're going to talk to our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Folks, I want to, you know, there needs to be clarity with this race for governor. Uh, I can already, number one, start to see people going to start to say that something happened with the vote. And I don't believe the vote totals. And there's definitely a pattern that's starting to take shape here. But let's just be very clear. I think Republican Ashley Kalis, we're talking about the race for governor. Uh, Republican Ashley Kalis, I think she's she's doing better. I think she's doing well. But she is in no by no means sealed the deal. Uh, President, uh, excuse me, Governor McKee still has, he's, you know, they, I think they've come to the feeling that they're not going to blow her out, but they're comfortably ahead that he's going to pull this out if unless the dynamic changes he 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 will win he will win this election it doesn't mean there still isn't time there's still time she's made some improvements i think some people fully don't understand how difficult it is to break through now i like ashley i've covered ashley i went the other night i thought that was impressive but you need to really take over the news cycle Something dramatic at this point has to happen in order to shake up the race. If the race remains the way it is right now, Dan McKee wins. I don't think it's good for the state that he wins. I don't think he's run a particularly great campaign. He's run he's run an okay campaign. Uh, people seem to like he's comfortable with the campaign that he's run. And he's got his family involved and his mom. And yesterday was a big day with having the, uh, Jill Biden the first lady come in and there is the first lady of rhode island sue mckee and that's a nice personal moment for them it's a nice family moment for them and he gets to play center stage and everyone's gathered around and it's cicilline and reed and everyone gathers around and there he is with her center of attention she came in for his campaign much and same as seth magaziner um but by all accounts it's this 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 race is it's not over but it's it's not within the margin of error. Uh, Governor McKee, I, I would still say his lead is that poll that came out in the second district. The second district shows that he's up by at least, I think they said seven points. So if he's up at seven points in the second district, CD2, which is the Langevin seat, uh, you know, Cranston, Warwick, North Kingstown, coventry um warwick cranston west warwick coventry north kingstown narragansett johnston if 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 he's leading there and leading by as much as six to seven points somewhere in that range 
then he's the McKeek people are in very good shape because then I'm I'm going to give him more points in the northern part of the state. So I don't know what the dynamic is. I know that, you know, Ashley Kalis, she is all in. She has certainly spent a lot of her own money to do this, but she is new on the scene. And there are people that are saying, you know, who is this person? And she's not from here. People that like her, that want to support her, it's, I seem to feel they, they seem willing to overlook that. So there's, there's mixed people. There's also, <coughs> excuse me, folks, there's also the protest vote. There are people that don't like Dan McKee. And if you don't like Dan McKee or you don't like the person in charge, she will is more than happy to stand next to him and say, this guy's an income poop and he's an incompetent and he's not worthy of being governor. And she will absolutely do that. By the way, not everyone will, but she is not certainly has proven she's not afraid to do that. But he has won twice as lieutenant governor. He did win the primary. Now, you know, Nellie Gorbea, Helena Folks, they, um, they're not out campaigning for Dan McKee. But the McKee people with the unions doing all their legwork for him, they feel that they're in a good position. I'm going to repeat what I've said. And that is, it is still a winnable race because there's still enough time. I mean, you still have all of, today's Thursday, you have this weekend, still a big weekend to get out to see people. You have a whole, all next week. And then the final weekend for the push. And as I said, there's scheduled to be two debates. Now, uh, I'm still anxious to see if both of those are going to come out. So there's still time. But I, I believe, this is my thought now that I, i'm big on you got to knock out the champ if you want to be the new champ you got to knock out the champ and so far he has not gotten a knockout punch governor mckee is still standing you you can see other races and and i i want people to understand four or five points that's a that's a lot of points that's a lot of votes that's a lot of ground to, to try to make up you you do see examples sometimes of when something very dramatic happens and it can swing things the other way, such as, and I think it'll be, I think if Dr. Oz can pull out the Senate race, it'll be the new uh, barometer of just how something can shift the trajectory of a, of a campaign and what happened with Dr. Oz and that lieutenant governor, the guy, John Fetterman, that, that he, he, he simply is, doesn't have the capacity to serve as a senator, I know the Democrats are trying to say, well, it's no different than someone in a wheelchair. It's no different than someone needs eyeglasses. It's actually very different. He is a stroke victim. He has problems communicating. He has problems operating. It's a world of difference. That debate, I believe, anyone undecided may say, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Dr. Oz, but this guy simply is not up. You're talking about a six-year term in the Senate. So... Um, now, even then, they're saying that Oz needs to still shift it a couple points in order to pull ahead in that race. So, But the race for governor, I want to remind people, Governor McKee, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, to his credit, when he was lieutenant governor, that was a close race that he had in the primary in 2018 against Aaron Ruggenberg. He won by 1,500 votes, and he pulled it out now. Apparently, the Raimondo people felt that they were the reason he got over the threshold because she had she had a primary against Matt Brown. And the Raimondo people, what I was told, that really started the rift between the two camps because she felt, if not for her, a lot of her voters ended up voting for McKee, and that's what took out Aaron Ruggenberg. But my point in mentioning that is where did Governor McKee really get his base in that Democrat primary of 2018. Now, he's won. He was elected in 2014. He won two elections in 2018. He won the primary, then the general, and then he just won this primary. It seems to be he pulls a lot of votes out of Pawtucket, Central Falls. He's extended into East Providence. He obviously does well in Cumberland. But the Blackstone Valley, part of Providence, 
Pawtucket Central Falls, especially Pawtucket Central Falls, and now he's extended that into East Providence, Governor McKee does very well. So therefore, and we talked about Ashley Kalis, she needs to gain ground in some areas that President, I also want to remind people, President Trump, I believe she needs to gain ground in areas where President Trump pulled a lot of votes. President Trump, even though Governor McKee knocks him and knocks all the voters, by the way, um, in all of our delegation does, never mind Seth Magaziner and Cicilline, President Trump received 200,000 votes two years ago in 2020. President Trump received more votes in 2020 than Gina Raimondo received in 2018. So all these people that knock it, but she that knock President Trump, I believe they ignore just how many votes he, and how well he really did and performed uh, in Rhode Island, both in 2016 and also in, in 2020. But make no mistake about it, because I was just speaking to someone and said, oh, no, this is a this is almost a tie. You know, it's a close race and they're almost tied and blah, blah. I, I, I just I don't believe that. Uh, I haven't seen anything that shows that. And and I also, when you monitor the the camps, you can see how they're doing. Remember, both are doing internal polling. So the McKee people, they have a good pulse on where they are. And the Kalis people, they have a good pulse on, on where they are. I don't think it's as close as they'd like it to be. I know that. It can't be. And it's not as close. It's still, if this were... A razor-thin race. If the race for governor was within the margin of error, let's just say it was three points. Let's say Governor McKee was holding on to a two-point lead. Keep in mind, he won the primary by 3,000 votes. Helena Folks won on primary day. Dan McKee pulled that out. He pulled it out by 3,000 votes. But if this was a really close race, and it was a margin of like three points, you would see... The National Governors, Republican Governors Association, the Republican Gov- they would come in and start doing some ad spending the way they are doing in some other states. You know, New York is a really close race. Uh, or um, Washington State is a, is, a, is a close race. Michigan is, is very close as far as a Republican governor. DeSantis seems to be in a pretty commanding lead in Florida. Jeff Deal seems to still have his work cut out for him. Unless, you know, in that race, I like Jeff, I think he'd be a good governor, but unless something dramatic happens, that, that uh, if, if we're, unless there are people that just don't believe any polls, but Maura Healy uh, has a very comfortable lead in that. I mean, the latest poll I saw, it, it's between 15 to 18 points. Folks, it's very difficult to try to make that up. The undecided keeps shrinking smaller and smaller. So... I think that uh, the Kalis campaign, but they're, they're not they're, they're not having a bad week, but they're not having a great week. They need to flip this election. I think there is a way to do it. I think that Aaron Gookian, who's running for lieutenant governor, started to do that. He absolutely tore apart the lieutenant governor yesterday. It's still part of the McKee administration. But what, what Ashley Kalis needs to do, and I think in, in both, all over the state, but especially in CD1, she needs to really capture the independence, and she has to get some Democrats that are unhappy with the far progressive, woke ways that the party is going. And that's not easy to do. The clock is ticking. She is running a, a very, as they've said, spirited race. She's running a real campaign. We are to believe, I believe I saw she has spent $3 million of her own money. That's how much she has put in. This is, uh, she has outperformed. She keeps getting better and better. In some ways, it's like she's almost hitting her stride. Uh, if she had more time, she might be able to catch him. But, you know, the election now is less than two weeks away. So t- today counts. You know, yesterday as I had predicted, was kind of a news blockout because the first lady was in town, Jill Biden. Today will be a little bit of a recap. If you're the McKee people, you know, Friday can't come quick enough. And then they reset for the weekend. They have the final week. They will have some back and forth. I believe the Kalis people need to open a new front 
They need to, what do they need to do? They need to get Governor McKee reacting. They need to get him, they need to get the media engaged. They need to get the media feeling, hey, this could go either way. Because right now, the, the media, I'll say, I mean, you're looking for a reason to believe that this is, that Governor McKee holds a small lead. And I'm just, I'm not convinced of that. I think it's a wider margin. If, if, if Governor McKee, if this truly was like, you know, within the margin of error, I think he'd even be calling for more debates or doing something very drastic. They seem to be feeling pretty good. I, again, I heard, was told by someone that was there last night with, uh, the first lady in town in a positive day of coverage and he looks very much there's the governor greeting the first lady jill biden that the mckee people feel pretty good right about now they realize they still have another week to go a week and then that final weekend and they're very anxious to get the union machine cranked up all the mail ballots that are out there which is just ludicrous and the get out the vote but the mckee people by and large are, are feeling pretty good the cd2 race that that race is very close and i'm not sure about the polling i still say fung is ahead he's not ahead by a lot be very very close but it's not um there's still plenty of time for magaziner you cannot count out folks in this part of the country and in this state you cannot count out the democrat party you just can't a democrat candidate you cannot they still control the place All right, we're going to talk with um, attorney Tim Dodd, our legal expert. It's all ahead on this Thursday on the John DePietro Show. This is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating, and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime Call J. Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed. Call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J, J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401-732-1730. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Folks, you are listing to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He's our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, we might as well start with all things Trump, uh, just because it seems to be it is a uh, nonstop pitter-patter of uh, different legal developments. Why don't we start off with uh, the big breaking news, which came down the judge ordering Mark Meadows, uh, President Trump's former chief of staff, to testify this Atlanta criminal investigation into, into election meddling. We know Rudy, Rudy Giuliani is uh, mixed up in this. Uh, without knowing a lot of the details, we would, we would, uh, you know, attorney. Well, I don't know about attorney-client privilege, but just uh, some kind of privilege that the president and his chief of staff may have. What, what do we make of this development? It. it- it's hard to know exactly what to make. I mean, we can assume this is all t- regarding the um, investigation into um, the Trump administration's alleged attempts to um, improperly influence um, the vote totals or after the election activities taken by uh, the people in the Trump orbit to um, overturn the election in um, Georgia. And you're right, John, Rudy Giuliani has already been uh, subpoenaed. Mark Meadows, um, at the time of the election and between the election and when um, the next president was sworn in, Mark Meadows was chief of staff. So he would have been in contact with Donald Trump, certainly on a daily, if not hourly basis, 
um, apparently was very much involved in all of the um, activities and maneuvers after um, election day 2016 to see what could be done, if anything, to overturn the election, to determine, not so much to overturn the election, but to determine if there was um, improper vote totals, whether there was fraud in certain of the states. Uh, certainly, we know that um, there was an investigation into whether the electronic voting systems were faulty or manipulated or whether ballot boxes were stuffed or whether, you know, poll workers had uh, suitcases of ballots under desks. There was lots to look at. Now, it never got to a critical mass of saying there's the uh, smoking gun. Uh, this election has to be reconsidered. Um, were improper steps taken. That's the real issue. Now, Mark Meadows has had a very interesting um, objection in resisting the subpoena issued by this special grand jury, so-called. This special grand jury is advisory only. It cannot, to what I understand under Georgia law, it cannot issue a true bill which would start, you know, the process of a criminal proceeding. So Mark Meadows has said, if this is a special grand jury that can't really issue a true bill and it's only advisory, um, then do they have the power to compel the appearance of witnesses? This is not like a normal grand jury. It's a quote unquote special grand jury. The judge in Georgia ultimately said no and said the subpoena um, is valid and you are compelled to appear. Now, Mark Meadows will certainly appeal this judge's ruling. So he won't be testifying in front of this grand jury in all likelihood anytime soon while he pursues his appellate remedies. It is a unique argument. Um, what kind of a grand jury is this? What's its purpose? What's it advising? What, what's it doing if it's not a normal grand jury? Um, I think that's an issue that an appellate reviewing court will certainly have to take up. So this will get this whole issue pushed back after the midterms. Um, certainly right now, if you're in the anti-Trump orbit, you'd like seeing all these Trump stories coming out, certainly in this two-week period before the election, because... Right. It's all negative for any of the Trump acolytes that are out there. Sure. Now, Tim Dodd, also, I think the uh, the other story right now is um, this aide, uh, Walt Nadeau, I believe is his name. He had uh, Nauta, excuse me, Trump aide, and he worked at the White House, former military guy, kind of like an all hands type of aide. He was a cook and so forth. But uh, the investigation apparently involves him and potentially moving up some boxes. And what I find interesting about the account of what they believed happened was, and, and Tim Dodd, you tell me, but this sounds like classic, you know, DOJ, FBI, where they're asking him his actions and they don't reveal that they actually have video of, of the whole incident. So it, it's interesting how they, they go it a couple times, for, apparently, and this, no one's denied this reporting, but, that somehow he he then maybe want to go back and and uh, and refresh his his recollection of events. Tim Dodd, this is where it seems people could potentially get into trouble, and it also seems to be. I think the story maps out that this also becomes you know, do they offer immunity for someone like this? Do they, you know, where do you go where you feel you have someone that might have some information? You want the truth out of them, however, you don't want to. <clears throat> push too hard but just i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this walt uh Norda, i believe yes i believe as you're, you're right john he was a career navy guy then he got assigned to the white house as a cook of some sort and ultimately wound up being i believe um one of president trump's closest you know most trust not closest but trusted um individuals um, he went to work for uh, President Trump after he left office at Mar-a-Lago as his quote-unquote valet. So that's like, I guess, a personal servant, errand boy, not to 
diminish the title, but, you know, go for it. Do whatever the president wants him to do. I need this done. Go do it. I want that done. Go do it. Right. Um, and I think the president, rightly or certainly wrongly, assumes that everything going on at Mar-a-Lago, everyone's, you know, going to keep their mouth shut and look the other way and, you know, not divulge any of the dirty laundry going on at Mar-a-Lago. Clearly, that didn't happen. Clearly, there were informants inside his residence who were telling the DOJ what was going on with the boxes and the information and what was going on. This gentleman, the valet, there's competing stories. There's certain anonymous, and it's always anonymous, anonymous reports coming out that President Trump told the valet to move the boxes. Other reports are saying, well, it's not quite so uh, linear that the president told this guy to move the boxes. And if he did move the boxes, who told him? What was thought to be in the boxes? Was it known by whoever told him to move the boxes that these are the documents that we haven't handed over, which are classified, and we've got to hide them, and we got to we have to fake out the uh, DOJ and um, play like a shell game with them, hiding documents within the residence. So either this guy did it at uh, President Trump's direction, or, you know, President Trump might have said to one of his other advisors, it would be great if those boxes moved, you know, and suddenly his words bring about action. Yeah. Um, and it depends how specific it was. Did the president say, you know, boxes one through five, those are those classified documents that have to get moved. All of that becomes relevant. Who gave the order? When they gave the order, what did they know about what they were ordering? Did they know there were classified materials? Um, certainly, they're going to try to get the valet, the DOJ is going to get the, try to get the valet to flip, either to say, the president told me to do this, and I knew that this stuff was all of the classified material, and I knew it was, I was hiding it, and I knew it was against what was going on with the DOJ, um, and I did it anyways because Trump told me to do it. I mean... It, is it that or is it something different? I mean, the media is ready to jump on the story saying that Trump told this guy to move all the um, classified materials. I don't know that's true. Right, right. And, and Tim Dodd, what about, though, when they're dealing with him? I mean, this isn't really who they want. This guy, clearly, he's not nothing against him, but he's, you know, clearly just following orders here. So I can't imagine that that's the, the end game. But um do they do they pursue immunity or do they keep asking him questions and then maybe he does get himself jammed up? Well, I, I guess there's several questions. And again, the 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 drip, drip, drip of yeah. leaks that come out of the DOJ. Um, you know, we only know this stuff from, quote unquote, anonymous sources. Does the valet have a lawyer? Did he go in with a lawyer? Was right. he um, confronted by um, investigators? Before he got counsel, did he lie? Did he tell the truth? Um, we don't know any of those things. Was he shown the video or did they withhold the video, let him answer, and then try to catch him in a perjury trap? And now say, we got you for perjury, yeah. so either you're going to flip or we're going to prosecute you. I mean, it's, it's, it's the classic, you know, prosecutorial um, MO to try to get the smaller fish to give up the bigger fish. Right. Um, one wonders how loyal anyone will be to President Trump if they're looking at being, you know, criminally indicted and potentially doing jail time. Will yeah. they stand tall or will they flip? You don't mm -hmm. know. And do they have anything worth flipping about? I mean, this valet might be totally in the dark. He's right. just moving boxes. He doesn't know what's in the boxes. Yeah. Tim Dodd, finally on this, if they are just, and again, I know we're speculating, but in a scenario like that, if someone is either, do they stop and interrupt and say, now, come on, you, you're saying you don't remember whether or not you, you move the, do they, if they have the tape, do they do a stop and start or do they just let the person tell their version of events? There's different techniques by different investigators. Okay. Some, some sure. might say, you know, 
cut the BS. We yeah. know what happened here. Come clean right now, or mm. we've already got you for perjury. Right. You know, you're lying to us, and mm. um, we will pursue all available remedies. Um, some will just let them talk, and they'll keep track of all the lies, and then they'll come hit them after the fact with, with uh, criminal charges. Um, would he get an immunity deal? Um, I don't think that would come along until they had some um, understanding of what he had to offer. Sure. It may not be enough. I mean, that's the trick. The DOJ drops all these little um, leaks and the media eats it right up and dutifully yeah. reports it. But we don't really know what the facts are. So yeah. this anonymous stuff comes out. Reporters and media figures start speculating, and that speculation, you know, if it's if restated enough time, becomes what people think is reality. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Legal expert attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane, heating and cooling, it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with Propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. We're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dunn. Tim, um, Rhode Island always has these battles over shoreline access and various people uh, trying to make legal arguments to get more shoreline access. What are we to make of this latest case that came down in Narragansett? Well, it's not over yet. It's um, a preliminary situation. But, you know, the, the presently constituted um, Narragansett Town Council has been extremely woke, progressive, um, I, I think they've upset a lot of residents, and I'm sure there's some who think what they're doing is great. This is the same town council that, um, you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but if you recall earlier in the summer, they passed a resolution that um, I guess members of certain Indian tribes would get on the beach, for, the Narragansett town beach for free for whatever reason. Um, this case that's been in the court system from what i understand there's people who live um, in the point judith area in an area where a lot of people like to go surfing and for years there was no parking allowed um, the residents who live there you know like to look at the ocean they don't want cars in front of their homes so that you know they're disturbed um I guess the residents were complaining then that people were parking at early morning hours so they could go surfing. So there came a point in time that the cops were ticketing vehicles for being parked illegally. Uh, I guess the surfing community or people sympathetic to them went to the council and the council made it available parking. So the people who live in that community um, on, the, on the water who didn't like now signs that allow people to park from 5 a.m., I think, until 8 p.m. So you'll have all-day parking during um, hours when the sun is up. Those residents got together, went into Superior Court to try to enjoin and restrain the town from allowing parking in that area. Uh, it's like a mini-trial. It's not the final conclusion of the case, but it's the, will the judge enjoin the town preliminarily is the question. And the judge did not enjoin the town preliminarily after hearing the available evidence. For instance, the neighbor said, by letting these cars park on the street, 
it's going to severely impact the ability of fire and rescue equipment to get up and down these streets. Well, that's an allegation, but the judge says, well, you've made the allegation, neighbors, but you didn't offer any proof. You didn't bring any witnesses to that. Um, the neighbors complained that the um, town council did not do a traffic study or other research before allowing parking in this particular neighborhood. And the judge said, neighbors, you've made these allegations, but you've not brought forth sufficient evidence to prove the point. You have to do more than make an allegation. You have to prove the allegation that you've made. And to date, you have not done that sufficiently. So the judge will allow the town to continue what it's doing right now, which is to have parking um, along the streets in this Point Judith um, area. That's not to say the case is over, because after the preliminary injunction phase, the um, plaintiffs are entitled to a hearing on the final merits of the case. That might take a year. It might take mm. two years. But they will certainly have an opportunity to gather more information when they have the full blown out trial on this. But, you know, it's another, as you say, uh, topic where it's a tug of war between who has the right to shoreline access, who has the right to um, the ocean, um, neighbors, um, citizens who don't live in the neighborhood. It, it's, it's a constant struggle. Um, and it's an always an uncomfortable thing because you've got two sides with legitimate concerns pitted against each other, and it makes for a pretty ugly litigation. Now, folks, um, we speak with attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, uh, earlier, uh, just a short time ago, Ripta had a, a terrible uh, situation where a lot of data was um, inadvertently, apparently, released to the public. Were, were, were we surprised? What do we make of the ACLU getting involved with this case? Well, I, I think the ACLU is on to something uh, here. Uh, they do have... Um, a few named plaintiffs. The lead plaintiff works, obviously, for um, state government. I don't believe she specifically worked for RIPTA, but RIPTA somehow had a security breach which divulged a lot of personal information regarding state employees. The, the young lady who's the lead um, plaintiff had her identity essentially stolen. Her credit cards were abused. I believe she had about something like $50,000 in um, illegitimate credit card um, transactions racked up. Um, I think her bank accounts were wiped out. Oh. I mean, she suffered some really significant negative consequences. Um, her life was upended. It took hours and hours to reconstitute her bank accounts and to straighten out her credit situation. So she has a legitimate claim for all of the ordeal that she went through. And there are other similarly situated people. And I think the plaintiffs are looking for financial redress and for um, a change in policy. And to really get to the bottom of this and find out how the heck did this happen? Yeah. You know, who's in charge? Why did this material um, become accessible? Why was there a breach? Why don't we have better, you know, firewalls and security backup? So I, I think that the ACLU here is on a good mission. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care, urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine, diagnostic treatment service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals, they're a cost-efficient healthcare alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer 
mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dunn. Tim, it was, uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but the, the story just absolutely shocked the nation. A young woman, Lacey Peterson, had disappeared. I think she was in her eighth, almost nine month of pregnancy. And uh, initially, her husband at the time, Scott Peterson, was initially supposedly helping with the searches. Then he kind of dropped out of sight. Next thing you know, he said he had an alibi. Then he went fishing that day. And sure enough, Lacey Peterson's body uh, washed up. He was then found guilty. How is it he's back in the news and being removed from death row? Well, uh, he's been going through appeals for probably the last 20 years or so, um, appealing largely the um, um, jury verdict that um, he be sentenced to death. Um, The main issue on his appeal was individuals who were knocked off the jury um, some of the people who were knocked off the jury said, you know, they, some said, well, um, I'm in favor of the death penalty, but I can keep an open mind. Some said, I'm not in favor of the death penalty, but I can keep an open mind. And people who said they were on one side or the other, but I can keep an open mind, were improperly knocked off the jury. Um, the appellate court that most recently um, listened to the arguments, agreed that the jury was um, improperly tainted by not having an appropriately representative jury panel hear the case. There's also an issue that one of the jurors on the case improperly attempted to influence other jurors. And I can't tell you the specifics, but there's two things. Um, the judge allowing the wrong people to get knocked off the jury for illegitimate reasons and some alleged jury misconduct, all of which uh, made the jury verdict uh, that Scott Peterson be sentenced to death um, vacated. So the, the, the reviewing court said that he should be off death row because the jury verdict of death um, was improperly arrived at. Now, the question is, will he get a new trial on that topic, or could he get a new trial on the entire case? That remains to be seen. Um, But the fact that this guy who was a notorious, you know, killer of his pregnant wife um, was national news for months and months and months the fact that he's now off death row is a news Mm. story but it doesn't mean he's out of jail he's just going to stay in the can for the rest of his life i don't think he's going to get a new trial on the substance of the case um i i just don't see that happening but i if if there was a sufficient amount put forth regarding the jury panel and the available juries to be jurors to be selected. Um, he had a winning argument and he got a yeah. reviewing court to go for it. Wow. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, uh, the beginning of the Me Too movement really saw the downfall <clears throat> of uh, Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein actually kind of became the poster boy for the movement. And talking about going to be in the can for the rest of his life, now here he is out in California and boom, more charges, and yet another trial against Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, he's he's undergoing a trial right now in California. He's got another one that's going to be following up in New York, another trial. Um, it It's clear. We've, we've analogized this guy in the past to Bill Cosby. Much of what happened with Harvey Weinstein, just like with Bill Cosby, happened years and years and years ago. So, you know, some of the um, accusing women didn't come forward promptly. Some only told, let's say, their spouse or their friends. Um, But there's a consistent pattern. And Cosby, in the case where uh, the judge let many women come in to corroborate his 
his MO, the way he would get these women into, let's say, his hotel room and give sure. them a drink and, you know, lace it with um, narcotics. Yeah, with, yeah. he, he had a pattern. He did the same type of thing over and over. And Harvey Weinstein is the same kind of predator. He had all the power. Um, and, you know, you, you hear the stories all the time about the Hollywood casting couch, meaning, you know, if the starlet yeah. wants to get the job, she's got to join the producer or the director on the casting couch. Right. Harvey, Harvey Weinstein took it to a further extreme of yeah. uh, a, a, a blatancy about doing it. Um, and there's women lined up to say, this is what he did to me, and this is what he did to me, and this is what he did to me. And there's a specific pattern as to what he did and how he did it and where he did it and when he did it, um, which all corroborates, you know, in the prosecution's world, all of the people coming in to say that he did this to me, he did this to me. Um, shows a pattern and helps to, in the prosecution's eyes, show the legitimacy. Mm. Defense counsel is taking the position that this was all consensual. And I think they used the term that it was transactional sex. Yes, right. Which, I, I, okay, transactional sex would mean, okay, um, a woman is going to provide some sexual favors in the expectation that she's going to get a acting part right well okay now I, I don't know what kind of a jury they've got out there but the notion of transactional sex would make these women sound that term almost like a prostitute right. i think that could be extremely offensive and turn the jurors off um the attorneys in this case are taking a very strong um um attack on the women accusers. One of the women accusers is Gavin Newsom's wife, hmm. uh, who is the obviously the, the um, governor of California. Right. His wife in a prior lifetime was an actress trying to make it in Hollywood. And she was subjected to um, the Harvey Weinstein treatment. And the, the lawyers basically said, if she wasn't a high pro profile wife of the sitting governor, you know, should just be another, you know, I, I forget exactly what the term was. So I think the tart, term they used was a bimbo. A bimbo. That's yeah. a nice tart, a bimbo, which I think is also insulting. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't say just to the women on the jury, maybe more so, but to anyone on the jury, I, I think it's highly insulting. Um, it's attacking these women's credibility before they've even gotten on the witness stand. Um, you know, basically saying they're a bunch of crybabies. They did this consensually, and now they're they're showing their acting chops by getting up on the stand and crying and make it sound like they were upset by all of this. Mm. I, I don't think it's a smart strategy by defense counsel at all. Yeah. But this guy is going to be in jail forever, so maybe they think, hey, we got nothing to lose. Let's tee it up and try something different. Finally, Tim Todd, this interesting story, these people, I don't know who cooked up the scheme, but some time ago they – you know, filled out the paperwork and claimed that their Mercedes had been stolen. And then uh, here it is all these years later, and it was somehow, it would seem that it was it was buried. But they, I think they received upwards of 87000 for fraud. I, I, I don't understand, but what, what would be the penalty for that type of fraud? <laughs> well, yeah, to this back up a little bit, yeah. the, the insurance claim was made, I believe, in 1992. And the guy who made the claim was apparently a multimillionaire, um, but also a, a very shady character who had been up on uh, attempted murder charges in the past and perhaps a murder charge in the past and had run-ins with um, the criminal justice system. So he buries, hmm. he buries this um, very expensive Mercedes on his property. Hmm. And now he puts in a claim saying my Mercedes was stolen and he gets $87,000 from his car insurance uh, company. Now, fast forward 30 years later, um, the property has been sold to, to uh, new owners. Um, they're digging up the property to do some sort of renovations and 
<laughs> the backhoe runs into this car, yeah. uh, which has been sitting there for 30 years. Now, the guy that made the claim is now deceased. Mm. So there's nothing to be done there. And even if he was still alive, I'm not sure there'd be anything to be done because mm. there'd be a statute of limitations problem. But if this car had been buried and discovered during the applicable uh, statute of limitations period, he would have been looking at significant charges for insurance fraud. And that would typically be federal because, you know, you're using the mails or the wires to, you know, going across state lines with banking, et cetera. He would have been looking at federal insurance fraud charges and looking at jail. Um, Very unusual case. Uh, You don't hear about that type of thing happening too often. And I'm sure no insurance company would think that this guy who was, I guess, a multimillionaire, um, would be burying his car on his property yeah. just to grab eighty seven thousand dollars. Not that that's in nineteen ninety two that was even a more significant amount yes. of money. Yeah. It's still a significant amount of money, sure but is. it would seem um, counterintuitive that a guy in that sort of strata would be burying cars for <laughs> insurance money. Folks, he is our uh, legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe trusted oil delivery call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 you can find them online matthewsoil.com matthews oil premier dealer rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil they take pride providing reliable affordable service for you and your family celebrating 90 years of service call them now it's going to be a cold winter get that tank filled Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. To the John DePietro Show, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast, is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn.